talking about coming in your ears anyway this episode of dopey is brought to you by oro recovery located in sunny southern california in malibu and western los angeles oro was created by bob forrest and his friends evan jared and bob their mission to build a treatment center hinged on connection and compassion rather than control. Their staff has many decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, and you wouldn't believe the amenities they have. Sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, Everyone we know that's been to Oro cannot say enough amazing things about it. So if you're fucked and you want to get some treatment and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get better, go to Oro. Check them out at ororecovery.com. It will change your life. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the good people at Sober Buddy, available at yoursoberbuddy.com or at the App Store or at the Google Play Store. Sober Buddy is this incredible thing. It is an app. It is a social media platform. It is now a community of alcoholics and addicts trying to get and stay sober and helping each other to do it. They have 12 Zooms a week. I host the Wednesday morning Zoom. It's at 9 a.m. every Wednesday, and it's been really powerful. The vibe in the room is great. The vibe across the platform is great. Sober Buddy is a great tool to have for your recovery. It's pretty cheap. It's probably cheaper than two fancy coffees. There is a 30-day trial. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com. They are also starting to do really interesting trials with 
wearable smart watches where they can check out your biometrics and how you are responding to your recovery. It's really incredible. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com or at the App Store or the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at SoberLink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at SoberLink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, check out Soberlink. It is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results to your specified contact, so there is no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive 50 bucks off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com dopey. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I'm super excited to be with you another week, another week in the life of Dopey. And I hope you guys had a very happy 4th of July. I'm going to share a story. It's a little disturbing to me, but what the fuck? Life goes on. So we went to the fireworks show. There's a fireworks show where we live in a on a hill the hill is called Bald Hill, and it's like thousands of people, every kind of person you can imagine. You know, people with tattoos on their faces, really skinny people, big fat people, black people, white people, Republicans, Democrats, Orthodox Jews. It's a, it's a, real, it's a real schmear of humanity, as we'll say. And I don't know, Linda and Susan went off someplace, and I sat down. And I, I was dressed a little weird. I was wearing a raincoat. I was wearing like a raincoat pullover. In my head, it's like I thought I was buying the kind of jacket Liam Gallagher would have worn in Oasis, but it's really not a jacket like that at all. It's just a, a raincoat. And I wore that with like sunglasses and a hat. And I sit down in my chair and this lady comes up to me and she's like, she's like, looks a little nervous. And I'm thinking, you know, Last week, I was recognized uh, in Vermont for Dopey, and I figured it was going to happen again. I figured this is what this is the new time for me. But instead, the lady looks nervous, and she kind of bends over a little bit, and she almost whispers into my ear, Excuse me, are you Senator Ted Cruz? And I said, and I got really angry. And I was like, No, and I don't appreciate you asking. And anyone who listens to the show knows this is not the first time someone thought I looked like Senator Ted Cruz. And she left. I was pissed. I didn't act that pissy, but I was kind of bitchy. And uh, and she left. And I just sat there kind of feeling sorry for myself, like, ugh, I'm ugly and old and fat and look like Senator Ted Cruz. And uh, and Linda, Linda walked away, and I... Uh, 
she thought it was hysterical. Linda thought it was hysterical. Linda, Linda tried to tell me that it was a good thing that I looked like Senator Ted Cruz. But I went up to the lady. I wanted to make peace with the lady. I felt badly that I was so mean. But it turned out her friend, her intoxicated, retired police officer friend, put her up to it. And he thought I might be Senator Ted Cruz. Then he thought somebody else might be President Obama. Then he thought somebody else might have been President George Washington. So I went off on him for being drunk, and he said I should go with looking like Ted Cruz. And it's funny because Ted Cruz is a beloved figure to a lot of people. He just isn't to me. And, and I'm not into his politics, but I'm really not into looking like him. So it was a moment, and then I, and then I, but I wanted to make peace with the lady, so I said, lady, what's, what's your name anyway? She's like, my name's Tanya. And I was like, it's nice to meet you, Tanya. My name is Senator Ted Cruz. And she was like, <gasps> she thought I was. But that was, it was a funny way to end that horrible moment. So if you think I look like Senator Ted Cruz, just fucking keep it to yourself, okay? We have a really exciting episode. We have a big movie star, Jason Biggs, back on the show. And, uh, and he gets really uh, intimate. He gets close and personal with us, which I love. And Jason came on the show because I asked him to help us out with this time documentary. And Jason was extremely generous. But before we get to Jason, we have some announcements to make. First announcement is old time dope. Pete Wiggins, helper on the show, is weaning off of methadone. He is down to 10 milligrams. And that's... And that's from 150, and that's no easy thing to do. And Pete has been around Dopey for a long time, so uh, big shout-out to Pete. Big shout-out to Kevin Kuntz. Kevin Kuntz has been around the show for a long time. I used to mispronounce his name and call him Kevin Kuntz, and he never liked that. He wrote, hey, Dave, it's Kevin, longtime listener and old friend. I'll, just, I'll be just north of you at Detox in Sterling, New Jersey, then going to rehab, man. It would be awesome to hear from you. Give me a shout out on the show. If you can, I'm doing it headed to get my recovery in man. Keep up the good work. Can't wait to get all dopeyed up again in my recovery. Love you, man. We love you too. Kevin Kuntz from Chicagoland, not cunts. Um, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Everybody that's been around the show for as long as people have been around. Kevin's been around for maybe the whole time, seven years probably. And I'm sure we'll hear from him when he gets out. And if you are going in or getting out, drop us an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And if you send in an email or a voicemail and we play it on the show, you get socks. And if we send in an email or a voicemail and we don't play it on the show, it might be on Patreon, which leads me to a very important moment in the show. If you are a big Dopey fan and you listen every week and you're plugged in and you love it, please consider giving to Dopey Patreon. Dopey Patreon is the next step in Dopey being more dopeful. It would get me out of cats's. I don't like to beg. But if you can throw two bucks at Dopey Patreon, it would be a big deal. Five bucks at Dopey Patreon gets you into the Dopey Patreon Zoom every month, which is super fun and connected. Ten bucks gets you the, the deluxe sticker pack. Fifteen bucks gets you socks. If I owe anybody anything, write me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I'm doing a big shipping today and tomorrow. 
And again, Patreon is www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. Two bucks would be appreciated. Don't be don't be a stranger. Contribute to Dopey Patreon. And we have a really, really, really fun old time dope Mr. Michael Popham sending in a crazy dopey story. So here he is, Michael Popham. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dopey Nation. It's Mick here. I hope everyone out there is happy and well. I um I got reminded of the this dopey story the other day. Um, I thought well, it's been a while since I've sent one in, so um this one's kind of funny. Um, I was living in this town about an hour south of London. Um, and I was knocking around with these two guys. They were total fucking nutcases, really immersed in the fucking criminal world as well as the drug world. Um. And I agreed to score some gear for them, um, which wasn't unusual. We'd go to various contacts, either up in London or in this town, and, you know, whatever. You know how these sort of little weird alliances form. Anyway, I went and got some gear off a guy who was acting as a runner for um, a Jamaican dealer who would come down from London to this town, and um, he had a couple of guys serving up for him. Now, the guy I bought off the runner... When I first started buying off him, it was all good, but he'd started stomping on the gear and the bags were just tiny at this point, but it was needs must anyway. So I went and saw him. I bought some gear for these guys and myself. Um, and this time, like, the, the quality was exceptionally shit and they were tiny and these two guys were pissed. They were not happy. Um, so they talked me into going back and robbing this guy, which... Like, I'm not particularly proud of, but I mean, I, I didn't take too much convincing. Um, it was sort of desperate times and, you, you know, you do what you do in these situations. Uh, so I went back and um, and I robbed him. Um, I I went up there with this wooden bat and um, he, he had about two grams of dark of smack and about a gram of white crack. Um, and I... I took that off him and I split it with these guys and um, that was that. So I managed to avoid seeing this fella, John, his name was. I managed to avoid him for months and months. I didn't see him. Um, in that time, I'd moved back up to London for a little bit and then I'd come back down to this town. So it's about six, seven months later. I go around again to score off this other geezer and I call him up and he goes, oh, come and meet me at this so-and-so's flat. This is the address, just knock on the door, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. So I jump on my little push bike, I had like a <laughs> little BMX type push bike thing at the time. Um, I bomb over there, knock on the door, somebody opens the door that I didn't recognise, sweet, I say I'm here to meet so and so, he just nods me in. So I walk in and then there on the sofa in the lounge is the geezer that I robbed six months ago and one of his best mates. So obviously he jumps up and we're sort of talking and shouting at each other and blah, 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 you know, these altercations start and it turns into a fight, basically. They sort of bundle me into the hallway and we're all like and pushing and shoving and like trying to throw punches and this there's there's no there's there's no John Wick shit here. This is, <laughs> this is no one's really connecting. It's just a mess of just like flailing junkies 
in a, in a fucking hallway. Um, anyway, one of the guys opens the front door. They're obviously going to try and like drag me out of the place. And I, like, I land on my back and one of them's coming back for me. And I push my leg against the, a door frame and managed to flop out the front door and kind of roll down the stairs. It was only a first floor flat, so I'm sort of scurry along the hallway and kind of flop down the stairs into the foyer bit at the bottom. He chases me down the stairs and I kind of turn and get a foot up, so he sort of runs into my foot and it catches him in the gut and wins him. So he's sort of come up, fuck, fuck, fuck. So I jump up and I leg it out the door grab my bike, ride off. While I'm riding, I phone the guy who I was going to meet there and say, hey, can I meet you? I'm kind of on your way to the flat. I can't go back there. Sort of. I didn't really tell him what had happened, but obviously I'm sort of a heavy breathing and everything. And he goes, yeah, all right, all right. So he pulls up in his car about a few hundred yards down the road. Um, and I buy some a few bags off him. Um, and I'm cycling away, and I'm I'm quite happy with myself now. I'm sort of like, oh, that that, that didn't go too bad. <laughs> I managed to get away pretty much unscathed, and managed to score my gear, and all was good with the world. Um, and I cut down the side of some shops, and this is not a good part of town, you know. This isn't this is a rough area, but anyway, I so I cut cut down this sort of back alleys footpath bit behind some shops. And then all of a sudden, crack! I, I never saw it coming. I'm I'm flat on my back, winded. My bike rolled off to the side, and the <laughs> the wife of the geezer's mate, who I was scuffling with in the flat, she's <laughs> she's about five foot one. She's a gypsy, pikey girl, and she just nailed me with something. I have no idea what, and it just post or a stick or a fucking walking stick or something just clothesline me off the bike she gives me another one kicks me in the head while i'm on the floor gets her hand in my pocket finds my drugs nicks them and i'm just in complete disbelief totally dazed and uh, <laughs> the icing on the cake about 20 seconds later when i compose myself and she's buggered off and stole my drugs and whatever money i had left I turn and there's these two other little pikey kids who are about seven, eight years old. They've fucked off with my bike. <laughs> so, uh, so having, over the course of, well, six months, having placated these two nutcases who took me into robbing a place, having managed to fight off two blokes, uh, after all that, I get my ass absolutely handed to me by a five-foot-one gypsy lady and two eight-year-old boys so i don't know there's not there's not really a moral to that story other than don't do drugs or <laughs> but uh anyway um yep there's a dopey story i hope everyone out there in the dopey nation is happy and well thanks dave for everything that you do mate the content's so good um and it's just grown so amazingly you know dopey's just yeah something else um anyway love to all stay strong dopey nation and fucking toodles for chris so that was the great mick popham currently in new zealand but from the uk so if you have any questions i think uk slang 
is it's largely way better than American slang. So if you were confused at all, gear is drugs. Contacts are drug dealers. To nick is to steal. A geezer, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily an old man, but a strange dude. Uh, leg it out is to run. Flat is an apartment. And pikey, and I've just checked Wikipedia. I'm going to read the Wikipedia definition. Is a slang term which is pejorative and considered by many to be a slur. It is used mainly in the UK and in Ireland to refer to people who are of the traveling community. A set of ethno-cultural groups found primarily in Great Britain and Ireland. And Mick also says gypsy. So they're kind of like the people in uh, in that old uh, movie, the Brad Pitt movie, Snatch. So let's, you know, Mick, don't use the pikey. I don't know how offensive pikey is to anybody. So if you're offended, I apologize. Mick apologizes. I'm sure maybe he doesn't. Doesn't matter. Send in an email if you're, if you're uh, offended. And Mr. Popham did a great, dopey patreon episode years ago that's available on patreon and just another plea for for signing up to patreon there's so much bonus shit i've been doing a just for today at basically five days a week give or take there's extra ray content there's extra aaron content i'm posting music just throw two bucks you'll get a ton out of it especially if you like the show it's at www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast and before we get to Jason Biggs, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by the Phoenix. And I think the Phoenix are going to play a part in DopeyCon on October 7th. And that's another reason to sign up for Patreon because Patreon people get the dibs on DopeyCon tickets. And there's only going to be like 220 tickets. There's already a bunch of Patreon members. So if you're dying for DopeyCon, sign up for Patreon. The Phoenix, of course, is a free app available on your phone. Their mission is for addicts and alcoholics in recovery to have fun, and, and primarily with fitness. But now they do music, they do art, they do pickleball, they do hikes. It is 100% free. You go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and or go to thephoenix.org. All they require from you is uh, two days clean or sober time. So go to thephoenix.org or the App Store or the Google Play Store. Join the revolution that is the Phoenix. Fucking worth it. It's free. It's amazing. I'm sure you've all wanted to start your own pickleball. They have a league for you, thephoenix.org. Check it out. All right, we've been working with Time Magazine on a sizzle reel for a potential documentary series about Dopey. And Pete Callahan is an addict in recovery. He's a producer on the piece. He and the people at times so graciously invited me and Jason Biggs into their studio to record a second Jason Biggs dopey appearance. And for those of you out there who don't know who Jason Biggs is, Jason Biggs is an American actor and comedian. He is best known for playing Jim Levenstein in the American comedy film American Pie. He was also in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was also in Orange is the New Black. He was also in Boys and Girls, Loser, Saving Silverman, Anything Else, Jersey Girl, Eight Below, Over His Dead Body, My Best Friend's Girl, As the World Turns. He's a very, very, very famous actor, and he is on Dopey right now. <laughs> 
Where's he in school at? He's in a German school in Tribeca called the German School of Manhattan. Why is he in German school? Unclear. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, so so Jenny, my wife, speaks German for reasons that are also a little nebulous, but basically she studied over there, ended up living with a family did not that did not speak any English, and she picked up the language. She was there for for I, I want to say like a little more than six months, under a year, and she ended up coming back to L.A. fluent in German with no one to speak it to. And so when I met her a few years after that, she had this little toy poodle that only took German commands. <laughs> so I had to basically tr- try to fumble my way through, you know, telling him. Let's go for a walk in German. And then when we had kids, Jenny wanted to speak German to them. She's like, I've got this language. I have no one to speak it to. It'd be fun to speak. I said, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I love the idea. So she started speaking to them in German when they were born. And then we moved back to New York. And it came time for school. And they're already, you know, learning some, some German. And... We're like, I wonder if there's a German preschool nearby. Because, you know, everyone's like, you got to start looking into preschools. You got to do the thing. And we're like, Jesus, already? Then we're like, I wonder if there's a German preschool. And, dude, there was one a few blocks away. So we lived in Tribeca at the time. And so we put them in German school, both of them. And so my little, my oldest finished the German preschool and actually went to one year of elementary there. And now he, he is no longer there. But he still takes lessons. But he's totally fluent. 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 We have a German nanny. Um, German nanny. Yeah. Yeah, straight up. And now my little guy is finishing his last year at the uh, at the German school. Isn't that cool? I think it's amazing. Yeah. And Jenny's Jewish, though. She is. So, so I mean, I like to unpack the cultural significance yeah. of a Jewish woman with a poodle. Yep. You know, there's something very hot in the, the German <laughs> commands and the yeah. Fraulein and all <laughs> totally. that stuff, right? Totally, yep. So, yep. like... How did you, first of all, why is she so set on, does she speak Yiddish? Because Yiddish is a little German. No, it's very German. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, No, she does not speak Yiddish. Um, And, you know, her dad, her dad is Jewish. Her mom is not Jewish. She did not, you know, go to Hebrew school. It was more of a sort of Cultural cultural, traditional thing. Although she, for her 40th birthday, she wanted to get bat mitzvahed. And she studied, met with a rabbi online, and learned what she needed to learn. And we went to Israel. 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 Yes. And she got bat mitzvah at the wall, at the Western Did Wall. Did people mistake you for a Jew in Israel? People continue to mistake me for but a Jew Israel, everywhere. But in Israel, that's the best. No, I mean, a, my, a great story from when I was, this is actually funny-ish, <laughs> but uh, in like the early 2000s, my first serious girlfriend in Los Angeles was this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jewish girl with German uh, descent. So she was German-Jewish as well, although Jenny's not German. So that's a, she has a little bit, little bit. She, we just recently discovered, but she just speaks the language. In any event, um, we went to Israel. Yes. That was my first trip in 2002 with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jewish. And she was very Jewish, mm-hmm. much more than Jenny is now. She was you know, very, uh, her dad worked for a Jewish charity and she, she was bat mitzvah at 13 and the whole thing. And we went to Israel and we were flying El Al over there. And I got, um, they asked us both, you know, when did you, uh, they started asking us religious questions, you know, do you, uh, do you fast 
you know, on uh, Yom, is it Yom Kippur? Yes. Do you fast? Yeah. Do yes. you fast? Do you, you know, when did you get bar mitzvah? When did you get, and. Are you just lying? No, I, I got told the truth and they could not, they couldn't. <laughs> But you would have gotten permits in 1990. How old you fucking 19- think I am, dude? My math went back. Good lord. 1990, I think Jesus you would have been permits. Christ, 90, I would have been yeah, permits. Yeah. It is right. Yes. Yeah. But I, um, I'm telling the truth. Literally, I remember the fasting question. I was. They were were like, they shocked? Were they like, "Oh my goods, I, it's a no, Shanda. He's so, not Jewish." So shocked that, especially the last, the one that really made them go, "What is happening here?" Was when I answered the fasting question. I said. Uh, sometimes uh, when I was growing up on Fridays, we didn't eat meat or during Lent, you know, <laughs> and they literally like right. look at me and pulled me aside to a second security line, like to a to a more intense security spot. The Goyim to, line. To the Goyim line to get to get, yes. you know, more questioning. It was hilarious. Um, yeah, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. When did you meet Jenny? How did you meet her? I met Jenny in 2007. We were both auditioning for a movie at the time. She was an actress. And we had one of the producers in common. And he was actually dating briefly uh, Jenny's sister at the time. And I knew him because he, he was a producer that I knew and a manager that I knew. And so we were both auditioning. And I guess what happened was this guy who was dating Jenny's sister told Jenny that he was de- that they were deciding between me and another guy for this part. And Jenny right away said, oh my gosh, you got to go with the other guy. Because she heard my name and she's like, oh, Jason Biggs, like he's famous. He did those silly movies. Like she was a, she took herself very seriously. She was a hater. She was a hater, bro. Big time. She was a hater. She was like, give it to the other guy. I don't know who that guy is. In any event, she got to see the audition tapes of, of me and this other guy, which is not the norm, but because he was dating Jenny's sister, he slipped her the, the tapes, and she watched both of our tapes and told this guy, wow, oh my God, I'm so shocked. Like, Biggs is a great actor. You have to give it to him. That was an awesome tape, and I might be in love with him. Wow. That's what she said. And Doug said, why don't we all go out on a date? Me and your sister and you and Jason, I'll set it up. And so we did. But apparently we were, all four of us were on the phone at one point, right? Before we met, we had never met. And this is in the days where I think I had maybe seen a headshot, but we weren't, this was before the iPhone. So you really had to make an effort to see, you know, see, to, who's to, who. see who's who and learn about the person, which I was so fucked up. I wasn't making much of an effort. I knew she was hot. That's, I was like, sure, let's go. I'd just gotten out of a, th- two and a half, three year thing. And I was like having fun. And I was like, great, let's go on a date. Um, but we all get on the phone one night and I remember I was stoned out of my fucking mind. And she could tell, and I was really off my game. And I learned later that after that phone call, she said to her sister, he's, that, he's no, he's, uh, fuck it. I don't want to go. Like he sounded you were too fucked wasted. up. He's I, he wasn't that funny or what. I was just off. I knew I was off. And she's like, I'm out. And then her sister talked her into it, into it by saying, look, what's the worst that can happen? It's free sushi. We're going to sushi park, which is this awesome sushi spot in LA. It's free sushi. Just fucking let's go. She was like, fine. Okay. Wait, was it free sushi? Cause you were buying it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, Cause okay. we were buying it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just need to. It was a little presumptuous on their part. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? Maybe I was gonna go Dutch, but But whatever. This is the fucking road to happy destiny right here. Exactly. You don't know how. Do you remember the phone call? Do Mm -hmm. you remember how fucked up you were? I do. I do. And you were just smoking bong hits and drinking. Yeah, I was in a hotel. I was. It was in L.A. And even though I lived in L.A., my my house had gotten mold, crazy mold, and so it was. It was being gutted, and I was staying at this hotel. And I was just, yeah, I was drinking and smoking. I don't think I had any blow on me. I wasn't high that night on on coke, but that would or pills, which also is very possible in those days. But because those were my go to. But no, I think I was just. I think I had a, played golf earlier in the day, and I was just taking rips all day long, and then came back and was drinking, and I was just like. And yeah. how fucked up were you at Sushi Park? So at Sushi Park, uh, I had I, I was drinking. Obviously, it was drinking sake. I'm sure I drank before I got there. I would always drink before I got to any place. Enough to, you know, enough to make me functional, you know, which I thought I needed to function. So, Well, you were an alcoholic. You need need alcohol to function. That's the deal. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So I I remember drinking at the dinner. I also made some quote-unquote joke that Jenny remembers very vividly. I had to get up to go to the bathroom at one point. And again, I just met, I knew the producer, but I just met Jenny and her sister. And so I was all about making like weird, uncomfortable jokes with people. And I remember getting up and saying, sorry, I just have to uh, go do some blow in the bathroom. And then walking out into the bathroom and kind of leaving them like, huh? And I wasn't. I was saying it to, to shock them. But the truth was... I very well could have been. But I you, happen to not be that night. You're probably like, fuck, I don't even have any. I, I don't even have any. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in afterward, you know, Jenny at the time wasn't aware. She at one point, when we got married at uh, nine months uh, after we met. But at some point, she does remember asking me during that, you know, those first few months, if I drank every day, she noticed that I, you know. And apparently I said, yeah, of course. Did she yeah. drink? Was she so? Was she hardcore? I remember, like, in because I first of all, by the way, how impressive is Time Magazine? What do you think? Yeah. What do you? I mean, last time Jason was on the show, you had to take the walk down my dad's lonely, weird, <laughs> fairly lit corridor to yeah. his very yeah. old Jewish apartment. Uh huh. Now, sure. how different is it to be in the in the splendor of Time Magazine? It's pretty incredible. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. This is. Uh... Look, there's there's one, two, three. There's four screens, M- five, five screens. There's weird. There's proper soundproof I walls. Know. You know, there's yet, microphones. There's cameras. There's some weird guys sitting over there. Oh, Pete. yeah. But otherwise, it's uh, no. This is really a step up. But part of you misses the splendor of my father's. That's the place. thing, you know. Well, first of all, there were windows, which was nice. Yes. No offense, time. Uh, but yeah, it's um, the homey feeling. No, it's a, it's a, it was its own character in the podcast, if H- you will. Hundred percent, and yeah. it was it was a perfect way for it's us. It's a vibe. To, it's a vibe. We got to get Pete to my dad's. Yeah, but I wanted to impress you over here. No, this is really impressive. You know, I wanted to impress. It you. works. So I'm listening to our. I, I barely listen to the interviews because I don't want to hate myself that much. I get it. Uh, but I listened to our interview today. It's really a very nice interview. If I do say so myself, you were you were great. <laughs> But I, I realized that in the interview, I want to know more about your family and stuff mm. and like how when you got sober, how it affected them or how Jenny dealt with your alcoholism in general. Mm-hmm. Like how because I didn't really probe there. 
And also there's this classic story with a hooker and you're fucking the hooker in front of her. And I, I need to know that I have so many questions, but we'll start, we'll start with when you're drinking and you're using, and you're in that first nine month period, how bad are you? Yeah. Um, so a lot of it was hidden. I've, I've learned about myself that part of the high for me was sneaking, was hiding it, was getting a, thinking I'm getting away with something, even though, even though the people I might have been hiding it from, I didn't need to hide it from, right? It wasn't like, but in my head, I created a, a, a dynamic with people that they weren't even aware of, where I needed to hide this from you, I can't let you know the full extent of it. And that for me was part of the high. So I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, there was plenty that was out in the open, particularly if we were with other people who were partying. And I was sort of a bad influence on Jenny a little bit. I mean, I think she said she had maybe tried Coke once before she met me, but I definitely, you know, brought it out and had her do some. And she, I definitely, you know, got her going a couple times, but she would, she was the kind of person, she would do one, bump and be tired ready to go to bed it wasn't it wasn't wasn't for her brain chemistry. <laughs> it, it, it was not for her brain chemistry. same thing with ecstasy we'd pop pills and um you know i'd pop multiple and keep going for you know a full day and she would take one and be like i don't really feel anything i'm so tired i'm like Wait, fascinating what the fuck are you talking about especially with ecstasy right yeah and she would drinking wise she would you know she she's the person that'll take two sips of wine and be like whoa i'm a little she I is had, a normal. And then leave normie. it. Yeah, and then leave it on the table. So yeah, and now that I'm sober, especially, she really doesn't. She, I, I haven't seen her have a drink in, I mean, I don't even know how long. For her, was my sobriety for her is just an opportunity to stay even cleaner and healthier. She's very much about, especially as we're getting older, she's all about taking care of herself in that way. I'm just about not killing myself with drugs and alcohol. Like, I need to take better care of myself. But for me, the reason I'm not drinking is not so I don't get a beer belly. It's so that I don't fucking die, <laughs> you know? Whereas she's like, oh, good. I, yeah, keep that shit out of the house. That's good. It's not good for us, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, yeah, so, so I was kind of a bad influence. She would partake a little bit, but I would retreat. I mean, she would go to bed every night. She also goes to bed pretty early. She would go to bed and I would go into, in LA, I had like a, a room, like a little, little man cave with a bar and a drop-down screen and blackout windows and carpeting and just, you know, black paint on the walls. And I would just pull out a bag of blow and do blow until whatever time in the morning until I decided, shit, either I don't have enough blow or fuck, I have to get up for that thing tomorrow. And I would take Ambien until I passed out, you know, and I'd go to bed, heart racing, but kind of starting to feel the ambient. And then my last thought always would be, oh, shit, I hope I didn't take too much ambient and I don't wake up. So my last thought would always be, please wake up tomorrow. And then I'd wake up and not have any recollection exactly what happened the last few hours of the evening. And I would always roll over to Jenny and I would say, you know, something. Good morning. Hey, babe. And depending on her reaction was how I, you know, how I would know how my day was going to go. If she ignored me or was like, don't, you know, I knew I did something bad uh, and I'd have to deal with this and unpack it and try to remember and fucking uh, I'm digging myself out all day. Or if she was like, hey, babe, I'd be like, oh, phew, OK, I mean, I did it. I still feel like I'm I doing got, that. I got and away I, with and it. I'm, and I'm sober. I, yeah. I still feel like I'm like, I know what's happening. I agree. What's yeah. gone wrong? What did I do? How do I find out without making it worse? Yep. Yep. So like, can you think of any 
situations. Like I never did Ambien either. How long did you do Ambien for? Oh God, uh, plenty. I mean, the problem was I was doing it to offset the Coke, to offset the Coke. And you know, Ambien's a really strong drug. No benzos, just Ambien. Or benzos, if I had them. But I had a, I was able to get Ambien at the time. I think I had a script. I was able to get it. You know, I had access to it. But yeah, I would do whatever, Clonopin, Xanax, whatever I had. I mean, Tylenol PM if it's all I had. But a lot of times nothing and I'd just be laying in bed for fucking ever. That was the worst. But yeah, I would, uh, but I would t- also take too much, I'm sure, you know? I probably, but I, cause I couldn't wait or I didn't think that one Ambien was gonna work and I'm still sitting there and, it's, and I'm losing my mind and freaking out and oh God, I have this, uh, you know, meeting to my whatever and I take another one and it just, I, there was, I mean, I'm so lucky I, I woke up. I'm, and I'm lucky, you know, any alcoholic that's still here today telling their story in sobriety is like, fuck, I'm lucky. And I'm very lucky. I mean, living in LA where most of my partying happened and drinking happened, I was, I drove every day right above the legal limit with booze. I'm sure. I'm sure. Enough to where I could have gotten in trouble. And that, I always in, thought, I was like, I'm a great drunk driver. You know, I'm really good. That's always the best. Oh, I right? drive great drunk. Yeah, yeah. And I was, <laughs> I guess. I didn't, you know, but. You made on. it. I made it. I guess to, if that's the measure, then I was. Right. But a lucky is what I really was. I mean, I was fucking lucky. And that I didn't get a DUI. Never mind, kill somebody. I mean, um, yeah. But um, did she want you to get sober the first no, time? No. So there was no. Um, the other thing about Jenny is she also, particularly at that time in our lives, she was very focused on her career. We were, you know, we were married and we knew that we wanted to be with each other, but we were still, you know, living very sort of, for lack of a better term, selfish lives. She was focused on her career. I was focused on mine. We kind of, it was easy to come together, but it was also easy to kind of do our thing. And Jenny in general is a little bit more, I'm hyper aware of everything. And she's footloose and fancy free. She's, exactly. I I call it Jenny's world. It's very abstract. It's a little Mr. Magoo. It's a little like, you know, she's brilliant. But, you know, we'll miss, we'll just miss things. For me, life is all about the details. I'm aware of every little thing. And actually, to be married to someone like Jenny is quite frustrating. You know, we clearly have found, you know, you find a partner where you have to work through shit with. That's what happens. And for Jenny and I both, this is one of those things, apart from our family of origin stuff that we're also, we also trigger the shit out of each other. But this one thing where I'm super aware and she's a little more, uh, you know, Jenny's world about things triggers both of us because I'm always on her like, Jenny, really? You can't, can you take your shoes off when you enter the house? We live in New York. We've been talking about this for 10 years. Do you think you were, were you like that though when you were drinking? Or were you more like Jason's world? Because we, we, I mean, you and I, I think are a little mm-hmm. similar in that I totally use because I, I want to know what's going on with everything. So I use to, to get into some weird abstract world to dull To get away neuroses. from it, yeah. Right. I don't think I did. Uh, I, I don't, I think I, I mean, look, obviously I drank and drugged to quiet something that was happening internally. I have a lot of snakes in my head. I was, you know, a lot of family of origin stuff, all this stuff, stress, career, all this shit. Just like, ah, felt good. It got me out of the present moment. I didn't have to think about shit. I don't really recall though, certainly as it, vis-a-vis Jenny, I don't remember 
you know, taking a, a sort of more lackadaisical kind of position on on things, like feeling like, ah, all is right in the world now, I can back off. I remember still being pretty, you know, I had bad OCD as a kid, actually into adulthood. It wasn't until I started taking prescribed drugs for my OCD that that I got some sort of relief. How so, is your OCD manifesting? Uh, as a kid, it was things like uh, counting, doing things a certain number of times. It was germs. It was hand washing. I mean, till my fingers were bloody. Really intense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have to. And also there was like, there was some religious stuff as well because I grew up in a house where my parents were, they were sort of Christmas Catholics. They would go in fits and starts when it came to their Catholicism. But when it happened, it was like full on. And there was always a like, you know, my, God is going to, you know, if you banged your knee, it was God punishes, God's punishing you. Like, can you imagine saying that to your kid? Like I have kids now. I can't imagine telling my kid when they bang their knee. I like, tell them that God all the time. <laughs> that's like, that's my go-to. I'm like, God fucking hates you. Do you? Yeah. It's like, no, no, I one time, uh, I one time during COVID, my daughter was in crazy crisis mm -hmm. and I, and I was getting more spiritual through 12 step and, and I was getting, I had a new sponsor and I was praying way more in general. Mm -hmm. and my daughter's in this crisis. And I was like, I was like, you know, you could ask God, I was like, you could ask God to, to help, you know, and we've never talked about God. She's never, like, she's oh, like fuck yeah. are so, you so she goes, how into, old is she now? She's 13. I think okay. at this point she's 11. Okay. She goes into her room <laughs> She lies in her bed and she like, she starts thinking about God. She gets totally scared, starts oh, weeping, no. you know, and then me and me and her go for a bike ride. And she's like, daddy, that, that God stuff really scared me. And I said, it's just fascinating. Isn't yeah. that fascinating? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you don't have God when you grow up and like God is supposed to, you know, whatever your conception of a higher power, you, if you're a 12 step person, you're supposed to be able to use it to relieve you of your insanity. It's not supposed to stress you out more. But it's like, it's, we have such a strange world with stuff like that that yeah. it can scare the shit out of an 11 year old. Yep. Uh, but I, from now on, with my younger one, I'm going to be like, you shouldn't have fucked with God that time. That's what, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> um, I have two drug questions for you, but they're mm -hmm. very different. The first question is being super successful, young Hollywood, famous person, how good were the drugs that you would get? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, are you getting like crazy good ecstasy, crazy good Coke? Were they like touting it in a special way, selling it nicely, like organic fucking artisanal shit? <laughs> um, definitely did good drugs. I think it was less about my status in Hollywood and more about money. Well, not e yes, and more about the friends that I had. I had friends with access. You know, I had one friend whose uncle was this Northern California hippie who made at the time the pure ecstasy was loaded with a bunch of shit, but he had pure MDMA, which now is very commonplace apparently i haven't done it in a supposedly, long time supposedly yeah. supposedly i don't believe it now i don't so you know think, I don't so you know. think when you got time, it, you when got that real molly we got that it, and i know it was that was the shit that i did on that car ride up from vancouver to whistler with a bunch of strangers that i didn't know by myself tripping on on mdma that was pure molly it was powder it was powder were you eating it or were you snorting no it was in a pill and i kind of popped it open and kind of ate it put in some water ate it 
So you got or it from just, some yeah. some hippie chemist in northern exactly. Yeah, I, I love exactly. That. I love so like that that's too. so that's one story. The Coke we had this guy, this dealer who, yeah, he was pretty pricey. He wasn't super consistent. There'd be some bad batches where you're like, oh, this isn't as good. But then occasionally he'd get this shit called the uh, strawberry, and it was you know I guess a little I don't even know the pink the, stuff. Yeah, that's that pharmaceutical Merck stuff. Is that what that is? That's that pink. That's the Elvis Presley stuff. Yeah. That's so that. Yeah, we'd get that shit. See, I didn't get that stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I, I got the stuff out of the Mexican's mouth on Sixth right. Street. You know, <laughs> right. That's the, that was the stuff right. I was getting. Right, but, but it depends. You know, it also, it also. Um, so that was our guy in L.A. who was, you know, not the most consistent, but always pretty good. We had pretty, pretty good stuff with him. It's funny we called him Chris. That's not his name, but somehow. Chris became our nickname for cocaine. So we would call Coke Chris and then just started calling this guy Chris. Or maybe he was named Chris. That's what it was. Great the, confluence of details. Yeah. Chris. I think actually he was named Chris. And so we just started we calling call cocaine Chris because Chris of Chris. Because of Chris, our dealer Chris. Right. So we would be like, yo, Chris, we know some Chris? You, you, got the, Chris? you got the strawberry Chris? <laughs> exactly. So that that's that's what that was. He was named Chris, and so Coke became Chris. But you know, we'd also travel, man. So like we would go to places and take trips based on what kind of party scene it was and how good the drugs were. I mean, we went to South America for New Year's trips because we knew the Coke would be incredible. And Where would you go? We went to Punta del Este in Uruguay, which was insane. Insane. Um, you know, Costa Rica, uh, you know. Give us a taste of the insanity. A little bit. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the positive, the like... Like painted in a good good light, let's whatever. Say, let's, let's, somewhere between the two, <laughs> the twilight of the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. What made parties in Uruguay or, or, or Costa Rica the, insane? Yeah. First of all, we had a really great group of friends and a big group, so we would take these trips with like you know ten to fifteen of us. All right, and we all were tight, got along. It was kind of a, to use your word, a confluence of of groups. Uh, but we all got along and I was kind of, there were one or two of us who were connected to kind of all three groups and then we'd all come together. And, and so we'd get this insane group. We were all single pretty much all had money, you know, pretty much. And, you know, had the ability to kind of at a moment's notice, put a group together and go on a crazy trip. So we'd, yeah. So Punta del Este, for example, it wasn't on a moment's notice. We had heard, this was in 2003, I believe. So we had heard that Punta del Este was like the Hamptons of Buenos Aires and it was kind of going off and the women were beautiful and all this and the drugs were good. And, and so I don't know who brought it up first. Actually, I do. It was a Brazilian or Argentinian model that we met in L.A., who, who was like Punta del Este. That's the spot. And we're like, it is? Okay, great. And so we looked into it. We put a trip together, rented this crazy house. Did you bring drugs or did you know the drugs no, were there? we knew they'd be there. We knew they'd be there. So what we did was we basically, yeah, we rented this massive house. And I was thinking about it because I was always in charge of like a lot of it. I, I was a big, I'm a big planner. So, so I, I found the house that could accommodate everyone. I would get the driver. I mean, some other people would work on stuff, but I remember getting this house and I was thinking actually just recently, 
I don't know how I got the house. Now you go online, it's so easy. You book everything, it's so Airbnb, Verbo, it's so easy. At the time, there was the internet, but it was, I remember making calls to people and having them have to email me pictures of the house that I would have to boot up my computer to see and like call, the, call them back on a landline in another country, you know, to figure out what the dates and the prices. It was crazy that we did it, but we were motivated. That's for sure. We were going to make it happen. And so, yeah, we rented this big house. It ended up being in a really be beautiful part of Punta del Este. And we basically, first of all, we all fly business class down. You know, we're kids, dude. We're 24, 25, whatever. And uh, we're all like flying business class down and stay at this big house. We had hired a driver. Jose was, no, Caesar. Caesar. He was our driver slash getter slash barbecue guy. We had one of those great Argentinian you know, wow. like uh, spits. spits in the backyard, crazy pool. So he would like man the spit when we would have dinners. So so Caesar so, gives you the he's so the Caesar Caesar picks us up at the airport first of all in this big van. Is he like I know this great hippie chemist? He makes the beer as <laughs> fucking Molly. It, it honestly, dude, it was yeah. The, and we had a, I remember on that trip we had a lot of Spanish speakers. A couple people spoke Spanish in our group of friends, so that was awesome. So anyway, see, within minutes we're. He's procuring the drugs for us. He's telling us where the girls are, how to get the girls. Was Something. it just Coke and weed, though? It was Coke and weed. I think there were some pills, but it was it was mostly Coke and weed. Sure. Mostly Coke. Great Coke down. Mostly Coke. Yes. Yeah. It's gotta be very pink. And right away we had a, you know, a pile of cocaine at the house. I mean, I don't yeah, that day. And then you know, a couple of us would get in the van with Caesar and we'd like, we're like, we're going on a girl run and we'd like, take us to the bar right now that's happening, daytime, you know, what's the beach bar? And we'd go and we'd hang out and we'd meet some girls and be like, well, you wanna go back to, you know, we're doing a pool party at our place. And then we'd come back with a van full of girls and we'd be at our house and we'd be like. It's like a 90s video. It was a 90s fucking video. That's man. awesome. And then we'd, you know, at a certain point, we'd, None of us would be really hungry, but we'd have some dinner booked or some either at our house or somewhere. And we, you know, at whatever, 10 p.m. First of all, we'd be pre-gaming it at the house, of course. And then we'd go to this dinner, barely eat, you know, but meet more people at the dinner, girls, whatever, f go to the next spot. And then we'd always end up in Punta del Este. <laughs> We, we would always end up at sunrise, basically, at this club, this after-hours club that started at 6, 7 in the morning called Tequila. <laughs> it's just called Tequila. And we'd go there, and you'd walk in. and be First of all, there'd be a massive line, but we'd roll up to the front. You know, my friends would sort of put my face. My friend Eddie was with us, um, Eddie K. Thomas, who plays uh, uh, Finch in the American Pie movie. So the two of us together... Or really like we, could, we can we could make yes. shit happen. Uh -huh. we, we would turn enough heads to where it's like, oh, because normally you roll up with 14 dudes. You're not getting in. You're definitely not getting in, right? No matter how much money you have or what the, but that's our sort of secret sauce was the Eddie, me and Eddie's face, Amazing. you know? And we'd go up and they'd be like, oh my God. And we'd be like, yeah, can we, you know? They're like, uh, okay, yeah, come on in. And we'd get a table and we'd get bottle service and, you know, and then girls would come around and, and then we'd end up back at the house and eventually asleep maybe the afternoon, I don't know, and then do it all again at, 8 p.m. We went to the beach once that week. 
You know, it's a beach town. Same with South Africa. We went to South Africa the year before, Cape Town, because a lot of uh, the guys in our friend group are from South Africa. And so we did this big New Year's trip there. Again, beach, Southern Hemisphere, beach, crazy party. But we went to the beach once. You like, didn't leave the house. Pretty much. We left the house, but it was under the, you know, cover of night <laughs> and to go to a bar or a club. Did you smoke yeah. the, the the classic South African Durban poison on that trip? Not that I remember. The Durban I, in poison. In fact, this is the first I'm hearing of it. To oh, be the Durban poison. Interesting. Very spe- special bud. Really? Very special bud. Really? Well, in, my se- in our 70s, maybe we can meet up and listen to okay, the Allman Brothers and smoke perfect. the Durban poison perfect. together. I love it. Um, now, yeah, so anyway, that would be our, those would be our trips, man. We'd take a couple of those a year. I mean, the big trip we'd do over New Year's, and then we'd be like, you know, I'd, I, I might have some... Uh, you know, event in Vegas. Hey, they'll fly you out to Vegas. You show up at this thing and they'll bring, you know, be like, can I bring four friends? Like, yeah, we'll fly you first class and you come and put you up at a penthouse suite. And we do those trips all the time. Miami, we'd fly into Miami and show up at our friend's club and, you know, just get taken care of all weekend. It was just Coke and drugs and girls and like, yeah. So, and you're, you're sober, Six years, right? Five and a half years. Something yeah, like that. six years back uh, in October of a, a ten-year journey. I think. I think that was right around when you came in to do the show. First it was time. five years. Yeah, it was right. You're about to turn six. I think. There you go. Around or, or about to turn five. Oh, is that? I'm right? about to be six. Right. So that's Sorry. exactly right. Yeah. You're about to be five. Yeah. And um, five years in, and when you go over the glory days, mm-hmm. right? What? Where does your mind go? Like as a sober person, when you, yep. cause like, I know that obviously it didn't stay that way or else you'd still be doing it. Right. You know, so when you tell the story yep. and you know, you have two There's kids. The, I have the other story. Right. So, yep. so does it, does that pop up? Is that lurking in your brain? Or are you enjoying the, the moment for a second? It's funny. I have a, I have, um, I'm in a pretty good place with my past and my memories and the nostalgia of it. I, I'm able to enjoy, the, I really enjoy those memories, but not with, there's no, long, there used to be, and I think especially in the first four years of me trying to get sober, I would go to the place of, oh God, that was so much fun, and why can't I have that again, and maybe I could have a version of it, maybe I could, but, but, but am I really, but now I'm in a place where I look back fondly on those memories, great trips, laughs, friends, all that stuff. But I'm able to, in the same thought process, go to the place where I understand that that was not sustainable. It was never, it never stayed that way. It always ended, you know, even if the trip, even if I was able to come home, first of all, if you want to go back, I mean, there are moments within the trip where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Of course. But still, even if I look back and I would come back from those trips and be like, oh, that was the best week of my fucking life, I can still count on, you know, my hands, those, well, maybe my hands and feet, those trips. Conversely, the stories I have that are, that make me want to vomit with discomfort are so plentiful. Like those far outnumber those trips and those experiences. So I don't look back on it with, uh, you know, it's it's nostalgic, but not in a way where I think it's possible. I pine for it, where I'm like, oh man, I wish I could do that. Because the truth is too, I also, if I didn't be, if I wasn't an alcoholic, 
and I was still able to drink and drug, or not still, I never drank and drug normally, but if I was a person that could drink and drug normally, and so I'm 45 as, and, I, and I still could have nights where I go out, I can't imagine, like I have friends that have kids and they all go out occasionally and do coke and come home and, and I'm like, how? That sounds awful. That actually sounds terrible. So I'm almost like glad that I, I, I can't do that anymore. But I also look back, I, because of the life I led and because of the experiences I had, there's no regrets. I, don't, I left every, I didn't leave anything out on the table. Like I, I did it all. I hit my quota in a real way. I make a joke, you know, with people that are like, why don't you drink anymore? You know, like I hit my quota. The truth is I really, I did it all. I really fucking Well, you had enough. It. You had enough. And, and, and it gave you enough misery. And I have, yes, of course. You but know, the good stuff, I yeah, mean. Like, you know. like, I have the good stories. I have them. I did it. I did the crazy shit. I have the fun times. There's no, what else am I going to get? If I drank and drug it, like, what could I, what could I have missed? I don't know that I missed anything, you know? No, I, so, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I think that's a great, healthy way to look at it. When you decide to be like, okay, and I'm sure that wasn't the way you looked at it when you decided to get sober, no, though. No, <laughs> You know? No. When you decide to get sober, how does Jenny deal with it? How, does you, how do your folks deal with it? Do you tell your folks? Yeah, so um, Jenny was obviously one of the first people I told. I told my therapist and I told Jenny. Um, I actually told Jenny first. Because I was, she was out of town. I think she was like in Hawaii filming something. And I was in LA, holed up in my man cave by myself, drinking, drugging, depressed, bad. I think I had probably done coke for a few days, run out of coke. So you're in that post-cocaine depression. I was trying to drink my way through it. Obviously just made it worse. In this black, dark room. And I was like, this is something has to change. This is not normal. I can't keep doing this. And it was just at a, I was, it was a bottom. And I called Jenny and I was like, I think I might. And it was so hard to say it because I knew once it came out of my mouth that there would probably be no going back. And I said it to her. I was like, I think I have an issue with drinking. She's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And your brain is like, you just ruined everything for us. Interestingly, yes, but interestingly, that wasn't when I quit. I was able to play it off, I believe, play it off and not like when Jenny came back to be like, yeah, I, I just think maybe I need to, I, I, I really downplayed it when she came home. I really, she was like, what's going on? Do you And I was like, oh, it's just, I had a moment. I really think I, I tried to get out of it. I didn't get sober then. So I really kind of backed out of it. She, of course, was not going to forget that. And, you know, not that she didn't check in. She certainly, it made an impact on her and she checked in with me. And But I was, again, we were so kind of focused on so many other things in our own personal lives that I, I would, and I was such a good manipulator and actor that I was able to just kind of be like, I was having a moment. I, right. I'm, I'm on, yeah, it's I'll all good. It Whatever right. it was in my head, maybe if you ask her, she's like, oh no, I was totally on it and I stay, but my recollection of it, what I convinced myself was that I made it okay with her and I can keep drinking and drugging. But again, because most of my drinking and drugging at that point, especially was done in private 
it didn't really matter what I think, you know, if she was checking in or not. But the moment where I really have that feeling of, oh God, you've, my brain telling me, you, now you've done it. Now you really fucked it up, was when I told my therapist. That was the harder one, believe it or not, to say, because I really knew that if I said it there, there was probably no coming back from it. Even though, interestingly, it's my therapist, I pay her, I can say whatever the fuck I want in that room, and totally. then go and do whatever the fuck I want. I can totally. leave my therapist, like whatever. Here I was, I was already married to Jenny. Right. But interestingly, that was the one that I felt a little bit more pressure, you know, or a little more- like, The stakes I, were higher. The stake, I made the stakes higher there. And that was, I think I told you in the last interview we did, I, uh, when I told my therapist, you know, her reaction was, I'm glad you told me, you know, uh, uh, and I don't normally tell people this, but I feel like I should with you. I feel like there's a reason why this is happening. I've actually been sober for 34 years and I can help you. And I was like, what? Do you <laughs> still fuck? see her? I don't see her anymore. She was LA. I came to New York. We kind of ha went our separate ways, but I still think, very fondly of her. Do you think you know? that you saw an older woman therapist basically because of your mom? Yeah, I still see an older woman therapist. Nice. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I do. I also just in general, I I have an easier time with women, I feel like. And I'm sure I'm working through mom stuff, of course, but I also have two sisters, no brothers. I just always felt uh, an ease, more of an ease, I guess. I I yeah, I don't know. I feel more comfortable with, with women for sure. I tested out a male therapist when I came to New York and I was in the market for a new therapist and I went shopping and I started with a guy and I did a couple of sessions and ultimately it was just, nope, this isn't for me. And I, I don't know if that was because he was a guy or because he just wasn't the right therapist, but I kind of made that the experiment and it, in my head it failed. So I went back, I did a, I'm with a woman who I love and who is great. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, Jenny, so, so when I told my therapist that I knew was, was the beginning of the end. Also because she said, I have someone that can take you to a meeting. Cause I was like, I was super parent. I, I didn't know what is, I didn't know what a solution could be. I thought maybe she was just going to help me in this, in my therapy sessions, especially now that she said that she was sober. I was like, okay, you're going to teach me. That's what our therapy will be about now. And she said, I had, because I, I also told her I didn't want to do rehab. I was so, at the time, I, by the way, I, I kind of wish I did do rehab. Were you on Ambien at the time? Yeah. Because like, did you ever have to get off Ambien? No. And you know, I've taken Ambien in sobriety. It wasn't a thing like that. No, okay. Ambien wasn't a thing like that. Ambien was really, for me, it was just a tool to get off fucking Coke, Coke yeah. or to come down from Coke. But I've used it for like jet lag. I, I mean, I've, you know, and I've talked to my sponsor and I've, whatever. Everyone's got their own sort of thing. I take painkillers when I'm in fucking pain. If I have surgery, I'm not going to. No, know, I, I take you know, sleep aids. Like yeah. I, if I can't fall asleep, I take sleep aids because lying there thinking about I've something had is the worst. The worst. I've had real bad sleep stuff. So I try not to. I try to, you know, it's more if I'm traveling and crazy jet lagged. But I remember telling her and saying, I don't want to go to rehab because, uh, you know, I was an actor in the thing. And I just, I just, I was like, oh, there's a stigma. There's a negative. It's a thing. The news and blah, blah, blah. I was so embarrassed. I was so mortified by it all. And she said, well, 
I have a friend who's like a sober coach who can take you to a meeting. And I remember thinking, a meeting? What, the f- what are you talking about? Like AA? She's like, exactly what I'm talking about. And that wasn't scarier than rehab. It, wa- it was, me, it was it scary. Like it would be scarier because you're walking in off the street. And it's like right. rehab, you're showing up with a bunch of people who are there for the same thing. I just, I, ass- know. I know, but I always read about people going to rehab. You can't leave rehab the way you can leave an AA meeting. Right. I never read about someone going to AA. Oh, that's good. I don't remember reading Us right. Weekly things or headlines with like so-and-so went to an AA meeting. Right. It was always so-and-so checked into rehab. Right. Um, See, that's interesting though. They could do that shit and they I don't. Know. Yeah. That's respectful, I guess. I guess it is, yeah. Particularly, I mean, like, you know, the the log cabin in LA. Did you ever do that one? I mean, it's like right in like in the heart of like paparazzi zones, you know. It's like right. would be easy and you have to walk out from the sidewalk to get in. There's no like But there's you know? probably like a thing. Like that and it's amazing because paparazzis don't seem to respect anything. But they respect yeah, that. Like yeah. you've never seen like, and there's so many famous people that it's show up great there, point. and you're not seeing it in Us Weekly yep. or People or Page Six. So and so is at the fucking log cabin or at so Perry Street or wherever. It's very true. It's interesting. I wonder where the nod nod wink wink deal went down. I know. There. That's I cool. Know. I like that. Me too. I want to know. Yeah. When your wife famously got you a hooker. For you to fuck in front of her, were you using at the time? Yes, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I was. Is dr- that hard to hear that story? Is that a bad story, or is that just no. weird? Or where do you? No, it's with weird. It? It's funny. It's um, uh, <laughs> I it. What's funny? Well, first of all, the story is sort of taken on a life of its own. It is a wild story, and it it's understandable why anyone would would want to talk about it. It's crazy, but. Even just hearing you describe it, yes. I think you have an impression of it that doesn't a quite, glorious impression that doesn't actually uh, measure up to the reality of the situation. Okay, which was that it was basically a comedy of errors. I mean, if you read Jenny's first book, it's in her first book, and in fact, it's the story that arguably got her the most attention with the book. It's what got us on Howard Stern. It's what helped to make that book a bestseller for sure. Right, and it's so. Do you think she planned that? No. Here's the thing. She didn't plan it, but this is what I'll say. And she wrote it. She, and I don't ask that question like pointedly. Like no, she, no, 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 no. I just no. think I see her as this very brilliant architect. She, she, here's what, you're not entirely wrong. So it's more that Jenny is always down for the adventure and wants to, it, can see a story before the story even unfolds can and is down for the story wants to wants to live the story out not because she necessarily wants to write it she's always been this way she wants to make the story she wants to tell it tell it she wants to be in this adventure yeah, she yeah. wants to live it I she w- doesn't just want to tell it she wants to live it right and so this you know and ultimately she so she did not go into this thinking this could be a chapter. She wasn't even thinking about a book then. This actually started, she wrote it as a story for uh, Playboy. And from that, it kind of, she wrote some other stories and that became a book and whatever. So it wasn't even like she went into it thinking, oh, I need a story. It was more, this sounds crazy. Right, it's a dream. It's this a sounds wild. But, but for Jenny, Jenny's stories, you have to remember, are generally not super, they are, they can be dramatic and, poignant but for the most part they're comedies she's a comedy 
person. She's a comedy writer. She's a comedy writer. And it's a dark comedy story. And it's like, it's like, it's like, what if I, and you were married. It's like, what yeah. if I get my husband a stripper or a, a hooker and I hang out while they fuck? Yes. And what does that mean to marriage, to sex work, and to storytelling? Yes. And I think the idea was originally born from a place, not I think, I know, that we were together, I think, two years at this point. And she wanted to do something for my birthday. We were already had a trip planned to Vegas to meet some people. And she was in that place of, what do I get him? He's kind of like, I don't. Uh, what do you get for the guy that, that has, has everything. everything? And so it started with that. And then there were other friends that had, I think we had had some sort of conversation about Las Vegas and someone mentioned, you know, someone. And it just kind of like a light bulb kind of went off in her head. And I think whether consciously or not, she immediately responds to the craziness of the idea and the and the 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 fun and the absurdity that could play out if she were to go through with this. Oh, and it's a fun gift idea for him. So I think she and and I do believe that she had intentions of it being a sexy thing that I would be into. And when she told me about it, it was. But as it played out, because again, Jenny's stories are comedies, it very quickly became a comedy and became not so much a you sex, know, romp. sex romp that I wanted it to be. You know, well, it became more of like an American Pie sex romp, right? And less of a you know a sex lies and videotape, right? Which is what I wanted, or right. you know, nine and a half weeks, right? Right, that's so funny, <laughs> right? That's what I was thinking was going to maybe happen, and I think she also thought that it, that could happen. But it couldn't but happen for the two of you. It could never have that's happened so for the funny. two of us. You're like that's, you're thinking that's, you're like these characters from Eyes Wide Shut, and, and it we turns are out not. You're not. That's so funny. Exactly. So, but you did fuck the hooker though. No, never, <laughs> never fucked. Um, a little fellatio. Yeah. Um, but again, well, first of all, I mean. I don't know what you know of the whole story. It's, I knew it, and now I don't know it for some reason. So to, to, there's so much that happened before a hooker's lips are around my penis. <laughs> I mean, there was- There always is. There always is. I mean, first of all, she was handling it. Jenny was, and it was going to be this, you know, she was going to take care of all the details, but ultimately, so she got the number of some person, and da-da-da, and this person came over, and- she was just not at all what we wanted pictured. She was, all she was concerned about was getting, she had a nail appointment. So she had to make it quick and get to her nail appointment. And the she, sex worker. The sex worker. And she wanted, you know, certain amount of money. Obviously, we thought, we were, to, we were told one number. She's like, no, I need this, of course. The old bait, bait and switch. switch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like, I, I have really, really high grade uh, MDMA. <laughs> Did that, did that get pushed in the exactly, exactly, exactly. And we're, but also, I'm not particularly attracted to this mm. girl. So I'm like, are we going to do this? Jenny and I are kind of like, uh, give us one second. And we're like in the back and we're like, is this where oh, is she? The, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I don't, I guess, sure. Let's, uh, this, I, we're okay, doing it. We're, right I, here, we're right here. here. Yeah. She's here. We're here. I guess I'll run to the ATM. I run to the ATM. My ATM card isn't working. Oh my God. So that becomes a whole thing. Now I'm like, I have to, I, it's God's I will. Right, but I'm ignoring yeah, God's will. Right. I don't yeah. know what God's will is at no, that point in my life. Time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I think it might have been a weekday. So I'm like, 
getting my business manager involved to like, to, to, I think right. I, I, I had to make my ATM card work somehow. I figured it out. And ultimately, we, we yeah, maybe I, no, you know what? I think it did not end up working. Jenny knows the story better than I do. I think it did not end up working. I went out there. I was like, I'm sorry. It just won't work. I, I, this is all I have. She was pissed. But then at that point, I'm like, you know what? Forget like this. Right. I think I just said, forget it. And then. She's like, I'll blow you. <laughs> <laughs> no, she left. She actually left. And I think we still had to pay her her like entrance fee. So now we're down some more money and we're about to call it all off. And, and, but I'm invested a little bit. I'm like, God, I have permission to do this right. in a way. And when is already, this going to happen Already again? things are going wrong. It's a nightmare. Oh, that was the other thing was happening. As I'm going downstairs <laughs> to the ATM machine in the lobby, this is Vegas hotel. So as I'm going downstairs in the elevator, I end up like, sh like trying to avoid the people we were there to see had kids. It was like a- Oh a, my a, God. Yeah. So they're like sh in the hallway. We're like, we can't go out until they're like in their room. We end up in the elevator with them at one point. And I'm, you know, hey, what are you doing? I'm nothing. I just have to, you know. Total scene from a movie that you would be in. Exactly. Exactly. That's so all this shit was going on. It's ridiculous. It's stressing me out. But in hindsight, it's fucking hilarious. And- Finally, which is really what Jenny wanted, probably. Probably, and so, so, so. Anyway, her hookup is is a right falls through. She's like, shit. I, I maybe I can. And I, from my old Vegas days and my pre-married days and partying days, knew a person or two, and so I ended up, you know, making it happen, making it happen, and getting someone over there. And this person, lovely gal. Because also the idea was that Jenny and I both were going to be involved. You know, we wanted her to help Jenny and we wanted her to help me. Uh, and it's be a sexy weekend. And she refused to, uh, to, to do anything with Jenny. Oh, my God. She said, nope, I don't. I don't go that way. I don't go that way. I'm like, really? Darn it. Like, so Jenny was now bummed. But she's like, but I'll. Take care of you. And we're like, okay. But now Jenny, at, <laughs> the whole thing already is such a mess. And I'm like, you know, trying to like get excited. And also I didn't, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to get attracted. into the D. I wasn't, wasn't also particularly super attracted to this one. It wasn't, I was down. I was down. Uh, but it took a little effort. And Jenny is on the side of the bed, like at this point, eating a bag of chips. Right. And like kind of chuckling uncomfortably. Right. It's the worst. It's the fucking worst. So I, I was hard for a second. Uh, that's when she, you know. Went to work. Went to work. Uh, but she clocked in and clocked out all under a minute because I, I yeah, I was done. I, I couldn't keep it up. And uh and she left. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, I, yeah, look at her. And Jenny's over there, crumbs on the bed. She's like laughing. She's like, I'm sorry. I don't, right. what am I supposed to do? I don't, I, I can't. And I was like, Jenny, well, come make out with me or something. And, and I'm like yelling like, at her. Let's make this thing work. Let's, let's try, come on, work. come on. Yes. And it was just absurd. It was ridiculous. At that point, there had so much had gone wrong. It was all like hilarious. We're laughing. It was just, the girl left. We paid her. She left. And then. And, what were and you using it. in that situation? Anything? Or just drinking? I think I was drinking. Uh, I was probably stoned. I, I'm sure I smoked. I would always, I would travel with, you know, weed in my, I smoked cigarettes too. So I would empty out the tobacco and a nice. thing and just fill my cigarettes with uh with weed. So I'm sure I had a joint that I smoked and and then drinking. Yeah, I remember drinking at the mini bar 
you know, offering our girl drinks. I mean, it was like a Tuesday afternoon. It was just like something, it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. And so it never, it, it, nothing really happened. Well, I think it's a great story. And it's, I appreciate it. It is a great story. I, and she, and I, it should be a short film. My telling of it is not great. It's, Jenny's telling of it is hilarious and wonderful and can be read in uh, her book, I Like You Just the Way I Am. My telling is not as, as great. It's, it's pretty great for me. Anyway. How do you deal with uh, legal weed everywhere? Yeah, it's. Uh, is it a thing? Is it annoying? It's, it's, Do you want to walk in and see what's going on once in a while? I have walked in. I've been in one with a friend who who out in L.A. when they were first in L.A. before they were were here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were in L.A. For, yeah, for a I actually bit. worked in dispensaries in L.A. Did you really? I was like, I was a security guard there. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, <laughs> That's amazing. they would pay me with butt, and I was wasted on heroin. It was a great time. It was Amazing. a really wonderful time to be alive. I bet. I bet. Those are the good times. It seems. Those are the good it times. seems. It wasn't really a good time. It no, was really no, bad. No. It seems different out here, though. It seems like, like more because New York is so much denser than LA. I know. I can't tell though. Are they? They. They. There's weed. You know, neon weed leaves. So it's not affecting you. But is it really like? Yes. Are they cannabis? Yeah. Or are they? Yeah. There's bud in there. There's there is. mushrooms in there. There's DMT in there. It's crazy. Damn. Yeah. So, but it's not affecting you. That's the answer. It's not affecting me. So is, it's okay. It's okay. I, the only thing I think about when I walk past them is, why didn't they have these when I, you know, it would take it, it would just make life so much easier because we were always like driving to or because our weed guy was wasn't a guy that would come to us. Our coke guy came to us. Our weed guy we had to like make a bit of an effort. Our weed guy was also our mushroom guy. So it was, uh, we always, you know, go meet him and it was a thing. We try to buy enough to get through and whatever. But yeah, just like the fact that it's right there and it's good shit apparently is a little like annoying, like fuck. But it's, but it's not... like the iPhone, you know, it's like, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, like we used to have to call and leave messages for people on it, on landlines and be there when they called and, you know, same thing. We had to drive to meet her. Now it's, it's like. No, it, to me, it's like I'm, I'm, I feel touristy and part of me wants to go in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Part of me wants to go in and see it. But for what? Mm -hmm. um, do you work with a sponsor still or no? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, my, we have an intern named Claire. And Claire wrote two questions. And I need to ask you Claire's questions. Okay. This is the segment called Claire's Questions. Claire wants to know. Claire's obsessed with uh, Natasha Leone. Mm -hmm. So I knew there would be a Natasha Leone question. But the first question I think I wanted to ask too. Funny that Coke was your drug of choice, considering your family life sounded so high strung. Why do you think it was Coke that was your thing? Opioid, she phrases this terribly, fucking Claire. If opioids had found him before Coke, would he have gotten hooked mm. on that? That's a really good question, Claire. Good job, Claire. Claire's amazing. She's Canadian, though. Oh. Let's not hold that it's against okay. her. She's still amazing. She's amazing. Funny, yeah. yeah. Um, probably. I love opioids. I loved pills whenever I, uh, whenever I had access to them or needed to take them. But um, you never got strung out on Percocet or no, Oxys or anything? No, no. I think it was partly just my circle of friends and what they were into and what we had more access to. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I could see a world in which I think I, think I like the fast super fast acting nature of, well, I'm sure heroin. I never did heroin. But Coke was just sort of, it was more of a social drug, you know? I liked, because uh, I, I also, you know, realize that I had social anxiety too. That was another thing that the drinking helped me with, but the Coke really helped me with. I mean, I was just loving everybody and loving life and just, uh, yeah, 
I don't know. I loved how fast it worked. I uh, I think that's enough. I feel like it also was, you know, there was less of a stigma in the drug world. Right, right. You're like up and coming, doing coke, Hollywood yeah, guys. Yeah, it felt a little more organic to my life in a fucked up way than being strung out on heroin, you know? Needles, I was always like weirded out. And I kind of just always felt that like the pills would sort of, especially for an addict like me, I mean. But it didn't, you didn't get strung out on the pills. No, I never did them with enough consistency. I never like bought, I never had access. It was more like, you know, my friend has pills. I, I mean, there were a couple times where I guess I did buy, you know, I knew someone was like, I have a hundred pills, you want to buy them? And I would, but then after the hundred pills were gone, it was like, I would go whatever, however long without doing anything. I never sort of, yeah, Coke was always the consistent one, so. I think that's a good answer for Claire. The second Claire question is, did any sober co-stars he worked with, Natasha Leone, notice his using, try to intervene? Did Natasha Leone ever try to intervene is what she wants to I have to, to stop you from saying Natasha Leone How do you say her anymore. Name? Natasha Leone. Fuck, she's never gonna come on the show now. No. Natasha Leon. Leon. Um, I apologize, Natasha. I know she's a big she's, dopey listener, so I apologize. She's not listening. You don't think so? No. Not right now? Never. Okay. Um, yes. So, <laughs> no, maybe she is. She's not listening. No. That's, that's true. She's not listening. Yes, I know. Anyway, um, no. No. No one did. It's funny. You know, the well, the first couple movies that I did with Natasha, she was- Hi. Fucked up, yeah. I mean, she was still in active use, so I don't think there was any awareness. You never used with her, though. Or you did. She was like a proper heroin addict, though, right? Yeah, no, I never did that. I'm just trying to think, like, did we smoke a joint together at a rap part? I mean, probably. probably. Who did? I, right? I don't know. Probably. Did you ever get high with Snoop Dogg? No. That's, a, that's a regret. Yeah, right? Is that the kind of thing where if the opportunity presents, like, yes. I have a pass? I, some, for some people, it's like, it's like Mark Maron smoked a Marlboro with Keith Richards. Uh, Interesting. I, I might get high with Snoop Dogg. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a re I don't know. Would I? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, the, the truth is I wouldn't. I met Artie Lang, right? I met Artie Lang. I had stopped smoking cigarettes like that week. And I go backstage at the Artie Lang show at Caroline's and he's chain smoking Marlboro's. And I didn't even have a cigarette. Wow. And and I was like, this is one of those moments. But yeah. I was like, too sober for that fucking shit. Yeah. Can't yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. Well, when I saw her for the last American Pie and then a, and then again for Orange is the New Black, she was sober. And I talked to her about it. And she actually took me to to a, a couple meetings. That's a, nice. Which was cool. Yeah, in my early days. So that was very cool to kind of come full circle with her like that. And there are other sober people in those American Pie films now. It's like a big chunk of the cast is actually sober. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, at the time, I mean, certainly for the first couple American Pies too, we were just like, yeah, we would. It's funny, we were never getting fucked up on set, but as soon as we wrapped. It was a party. One of our trailers, we were smoking, we were drinking. Oh, yeah. you were young. Yeah. Young, powerful, Hollywood, wealthy, <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It's a good fucking deal. Yeah. But so. Anyway. And Natasha, I, I feel, I'm just feeling a lot of shame about mispronouncing her last name considering what a coveted guest she is. Yeah. That's horrible. I think you need to mourn her coming. Tonight, coming before, I, you I think, think it's you, never gonna I happen? Think it's, I think you should be prepared for it never to happen. And then when it does, you'll be psyched. We can have this conversation about me <laughs> mangling her name. I'm kidding. Maybe she, I have no idea. I don't, if I knew her better, I would reach out and personally say, get on this podcast. What do you think? 
Keith Richards or Natasha Leone? What's more likely to come on Dopey? In your, you know, your your position. <laughs> uh, do you have any connection to Keith Richards? Supposedly we do. But I, I think I have more. Con- I thought you had a connection to Natasha Leone. I, I mean. So neither is happening, Jason. I, I think you should just be prepared. Look, the fact that you're dipping into guests who've already come on to come back on, like myself, means, you know, you're probably. We're, prob- we're in bad shape. You're in bad shape, <laughs> right. bro. This thing is, uh, this is a sinking ship. <laughs> and in the spirit of the ship sinking, we're going to turn it over to time producer Pete Callahan, man in recovery, you know, wonderful young man. He has a baby on the way. Oh, mazel. He has, he has a couple years under his belt. And uh, he, 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 you know, he, he's making, he's helping us make this thing. I love it. To, set, to make a, a, see, I bet you if the fucking dopey doc goes, then you're Natasha's coming, yeah. Keith and Natasha, we're all smoking so, Marlboros right, in time. Dude. It's happening. It's going to be amazing. So it'll happen organically, you know? God's will, bro. It's God's will. God's will. I have to align my will with God's yes, will. Yes, yeah, exactly. I have to remember that. Do you forget that often? Let let go let and let, what is it? Let go and let God. Let go, let is, God. Is and what's it? There's you? a live one. Think, Li- think, think. No, live and let live. Live and let live. Is is that stuff easy for you or not that easy for you? The tw- the, the acceptance, it's God's will, it's not my will, all that stuff. It's interesting. Uh it's when things are it's going good, hot. it's really it's easy. It's real easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. This was supposed to happen. It's right. God's will, yeah. and I'm just, it's because I let go. Uh, no, it's hard, obviously. Well, I'm sure we'll always be hard for people like us to, yeah. to practice that stuff. But I call upon it often. I, I, I take that tool out as often as I can. And actually, what's, I, I can see it in other people which is what reminds me to do it myself. So like I'll see Jenny get wrapped up in something and and have a really hard time with something and then I'm the sober guy who drops in with my AAisms. You tell her to hit her knees. <laughs> I haven't told her that. <laughs> I a- Although I did say something there was a big decision kind of looming and I did mention like you know maybe you know, pray pray on it, you know, and she was like she's really? like you know your disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups <laughs> right now. <laughs> But anytime I anytime I see her struggling or anyone in my life struggling and I can see that they're in a moment where, you know, some of those AA tools that I have the good fortune of having would help them, it reminds me that I need to use them as well. So regardless of if I try to make them aware of it, although Jenny has in the last few years, I think appreciated my sobriety in a different way than when I first tried to get sober. Because of AA, you know, because of of the tools that it gives me, she's actually like she's made amends to people. She's not in a program, but she she sees some of the things that I've been able to do in sobriety, and she's like, "Oh, those are good things. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's good. Right. Oh, right. You kind of like it's let, contagious. Yeah, it is. It is. What is the thing? It's a. Uh, uh, there's another one. What is it? It's a uh, uh, not uh, pre- uh, practice, not preach. Uh, basic promotion, promotion not. Promotion, not. Oh my God! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that no, one. it's 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 attraction, not promotion. Attraction, not that's pro- it. Damn, Jason, you that's you it. like 
You're not. You're not. Yikes. I need to call my sponsor, Brad. Off, it's been a minute. Off, it's been off, a minute. You're off the beam. It's been a minute, dude. I would have went to my meeting, except I had to come and do this bullshit. So, <laughs> you might, Some people might consider this to be a meeting, Yeah, some Jason. people. Yeah. Maybe Keith Richards yeah, and Natasha exactly. Leone. You'll yeah. ask them when they come on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Pete. What, what's, your, what's your big question for, for uh, Jay? And I want to say this before we say anything else. You're not here because the show is... I know. No, no, I'm just gonna say that you're here because you're a big, you're a big I star. I've, I want you on camera for time. I know, and I, I and I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you asking me because I know that is why you ask me. Okay, I do know that, and I thank and you. Grateful, happy to be here, even with your phone ringing constantly. It's cats' uh, deliveries. I get scared if I miss it. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, that's happened. We're in the middle of an interview, and like the guy's like, "Where's the fucking pastrami?" And if I don't answer it, there's problems. Yeah, you need to start monetizing this podcast, bro. It's monetizing, but I got two kids and a mortgage. Yeah, but monetizing is where you could take care. We got to figure this out for you. Let's sell this fucking documentary, can we? Yeah, come on. It needs to cut the shit with Katz's. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. All right, Pete, what do you got? Uh, well, first and foremost, thanks for coming into this. This is this pleasure. Is incredible. Huge admirer of your work. I just watched the subject the other day. I thought it was incredible. No way! Yeah, wow, thanks, your man. Your performance in that was. You blew my mind. It was I saw a whole new side of your acting ability, and it was wait, which movie? Which movie? It's called The Subject. Oh yeah, Thank especially you. as a filmmaker and the whole premise behind that. It, it's it was incredible work, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's uh, that's yeah, that was a f- hard one, fun one to do. That was the that's that's the role where more than any other sort of job that I've had in sobriety, where I've truly felt that I couldn't have done it if I wasn't sober because I so needed to like tap into stuff that I've never had to tap into before that I could not have done if I wasn't, you know, if I was still in active use for sure, for sure. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, Actually, on that note, there's a scene where you do walk into a liquor store in Harlem. Yep. Uh, Is that triggering or was that challenging for you at all? No. He's fucking sober. Look at this guy. Yeah, no. I mean, I get, I, look, I still get triggered sometimes. There are definitely moments. That's crazy. That, of course, you know, there's definitely moments where I, you know, I get a, uh, some sort of visceral reaction. But that, yeah, it was very much, if I remember that day, I do remember that day, but if I put myself back in that day, I think two things. I think one, when I'm working, I'm just like, how do I, I'm, the thing that I'm obsessing about <laughs> is, doing the lines, getting a good take. Do I need to do another take? Was that enough? You know, just, I really can get obsessive about the work. And so the fact that it was a liquor store, it could have been fake liquor bottles. It could have been any kind of set. The other thing was obviously alcohol is alcohol. And I ended up in some pretty, you know, sketch and weird places in my drinking and drugging days for sure. But that's not, that, that, that wasn't like, I wasn't going into, you know, random liquor stores in Harlem necessarily. My drinking didn't look like that. I mean, I, I guess it sometimes did, but it wasn't as much of a trigger, I suppose, you know? Cool. Just curious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so switching over to kind of the dopey side of things, your roles in acting, the characters that you played, especially in your earlier roles that you had, really helped kind of illuminate some of the sensitive areas and conversations and, and stigma behind whether it's, you know, Fucking a pie. <laughs> Fucking a pie. Talking to, you know, your dad about awkward moments, going through situations with girlfriends. And, like, that gave people a sort of platform to kind of initiate the conversation. And you did that through humor. And yep. 
your ability to act in those insensitive areas is a very rare trait to, to mm. have. I think Dave is kind of doing a little bit of that with Dopey, right? He's bringing yep. people in to the environment through the door, through humor. Yep. And then they get down to the, the nitty gritty part of that. Yep. How do you think the podcast is really taking itself in that direction and helping people by getting them into the door with humor, with funny stories, and then kind of talking about the real visceral stuff? I mean, I think you kind of said it. I, I definitely agree with you. I think... I think because it's first of all, it's 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 real, right? It's I mean, inter I'm thinking about like where we've been exposed to to this to these kinds of stories in the past, where sort of you know, besides obviously alcoholics and drug addicts have twelve step programs and their communities where we hear these other stories, but other people might not hear these stories or be as exposed to them. There are, have it has been done, you know, fictionalized a lot. And then on the nonfiction side, obviously, there's like celebrity rehab or intervention, whatever. But there's something about this format, I think, where Dave sits down with one person, you know, f and gets a gets a real thorough backstory. And, you know, Dave is really great at uh, covering all the bases and not just, you know, let's talk about your sobriety or even let's talk about why you got sober. It, it really goes even back. I mean, I don't know that I've spoken even in... Even in some AA meetings, even when I qualify sometimes, I don't touch upon my stuff with my mom necessarily. You know, it depends on how much time I have and sort of the family of origin stuff. So I think there's, a, there's obviously a thoroughness that you give here that is fairly unique. Again, because of humor, humor really bridges all kinds of gaps. I mean, it really, really does. You said it. I mean, I'm just going to kind of repeat. You know, uh, I think that is a good analogy, the American Pie and what I've done with, uh, it's not me, it's everyone that was involved in American Pie, whereas this is just you. But, well, it's, well, more it's a just, team. It's, it's more, more than, than just, just you. But I mean, is. you know, it's not quite a perfect analogy. But is in what a lot I'm of saying. ways, but it's, it's you even I, here. I suppose, it's, yeah, it's right. It's even, the guests. It's, it's the whole, everybody. Right, of course. It's of the course. whole thing. Of course, yeah. Being willing to, yeah. to go there. And I think when you answer that other question about, about your trips or about when you were using or about covering all the bases, it's like, yes, I can look back at my using in a positive way, but it wasn't all positive, but it wasn't all negative either. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's just, I mean, I don't know. The, the truth is funny as well. Like you speak in, speak in truth and it's, it's absurd, it's funny. Like, and especially if you can sit here on the other side of the craziness, mm. It should be easy to look back and find the humor because if it is all doom and gloom, then you're, you know, I, I think a lot of this is is funny and it helps that it makes all of this stuff more approachable. I think people can relate to it more. It's the funny thing about what you just said and, and the thing that it's painful for me is it's like when we started making the show, we would talk about getting to laugh, the survivor's laugh. Me and Chris would say that all the time. I thought I was really smart when I said that the first time and then he died. Yeah. Because like we can sit here and look back, yep. but it's really looking forward. Yeah. It's like we get today, we get right now, we get yep. as long as we're fucking doing it. And when we're not doing it, we don't necessarily get that. You yep. know what I mean? And yep. that's the most fucked up thing about our show is that poor Chris died. You yep. know, and not to mention all the the fans that have died and all the addicts that that don't get it's like we almost assume we're gonna stay good. But we only stay good by doing the, doing it. Yep. You know? I mean, What's like, crazy to think is all the people that will die. You know? Exactly. They're, like, that's also wild 100%. to think like, oh, man, we're not all going to st st stay like this. You know? 
And we might not, if we don't maintain a spiritual mm-hmm. fucking condition, we're yep. fucked. Yep. But it's interesting. It's like you don't want to forget the doom and gloom. Obviously, the doom and gloom is going to help keep you sober. But the comedy, the the funny is going to help keep you sane. And, you know, it's like it's the the two sort of go hand in hand. You need both. You deliver both in this podcast. Your guests deliver both. I think that's what makes this podcast so great. And I think that's why it, it helps a lot of people. I would imagine it helps a lot of people. And I, I'm sure I bet you there. I mean, you don't take callers, really, do you? I wish. And, and another version, caller, wouldn't callers be the best? Well, I just think you'd be really good for this podcast in particular. You know, when it's like an advice podcast, it's, you know, you you could pull a question out of a hat or you could have someone call. And, but for this to actually connect with people, like I'd be really curious. And I'm sure you do in your, on Instagram, you probably hear from people, but I'd be really curious to hear from people who are, you know, in various stages of their using slash sobriety, you know, uh, and sort of checking in and why people are attracted to this podcast. Are they attracted to sobriety? Do they want to make a change in their life? Are they trying to do something and it failed? Have they fit like, because yeah, your listeners, I imagine, are a real cross section of people in various stages of using slash sobriety. Totally. Right? So and what we do is we do voicemails. Like we play voicemails from oh, the that's audience good. Yeah. that are usually really fucked up stories. We read yeah. emails. Sometimes okay. it's questions. Okay. But I would love a call-in aspect because it could be so fun. Well, and also because it would be specific to the guests that you have, right? Like someone might want to ask me questions about, you know, whatever, my family of origin or about, you know, the trips because they're like, they have, tri- they're afraid that they're going to miss being able to travel with their friends or they're not going to be able to have those friends anymore, you know, which I could speak to. It's like, oh yeah, maybe you lose some friends, but also maybe some of your friends change too. I would That's, love you know? to, to figure out a way to do a live yeah. call-in dopey show with Jason Biggs. Yeah, man. What a good time we'd have. We would. Oh my goodness. All right, Pete, what else you got? So this is your second time being on. Mm-hmm. The first time you came on, did that session help your recovery, kind of talking about it? I, I don't know if it was your first time publicly talking about it. Uh, I'm curious. Why are you laughing? Because there's no. Did it help you? How did when you left my dad's? How did you feel? It's interesting that you're laughing because I actually, it really does help. That's great. It really did help, and today helps for sure. I'm laughing because I know that you had a certain bit of trepidation when you came in in the first Mm -hmm. place Mm -hmm. because there's also like. When you're you, people want to get something from you, mm-hmm. and I and I certainly did, and I kind of do yep. now. You yeah. know what I mean? Natasha like Leone's phone number, right? What, I mean, whatever. <laughs> My point is, like, I I treasure the experience. Like, I, yeah. I and I and I I said I appreciate. It. I really do, and I treasure the experience to get to know you in this situation. And I know, like, we vibe and stuff. Yeah. I laugh because I feel like I kind of like grab like i forced you into my dad's <laughs> house and you left they're like okay whatever you know what i mean I it was a minor kidnapping right of sorts yeah. but um a little bit against my will but yeah. I, whatever i was there for it it's yeah. all good here's the thing i'll say about this even going to meetings even hanging out with my sponsor qualifying at a meeting sharing in a meeting there's limitations like you 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 know i'll hang with my sponsor i'll talk sobriety a little bit i'll you know, seek his advice on things that are happening in my life. But then we're also just kind of talking, you know, chewing the fat, hanging out, whatever. 
Fellowship, same thing. We'll get into sobriety, well, especially with fellow sober dads of mine. Uh, we'll get into talking specifics about being sober and being a dad. But ultimately, you're, you're just kind of hanging out. I, I don't think people have many opportunities to talk about their sobriety in this kind of depth. Even with a therapist, you're, you're giving pieces. This is like you're, you're, we're talking about it in a way that is covering all the bases. It's making me think of answers I haven't to questions I haven't been asked in a while. It's making me revisit times and stories that I haven't thought about in a while. It's making me check in with where I'm at on a big picture with my sobriety, which I haven't done in a while. You know, I go to a meeting and it's like, oh yeah, I have five and a half years and you know, here's what happened with my wife last night and I'm so glad I didn't drink and yay, sober. And then you leave and you grab a coffee with someone and you, again, you're like, how much time you have? Oh, cool, whatever, we're sober, yay, and you leave. You know, but this is an hour, well, two. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Of really getting into it. It, it. Of course it's good for me. It's super helpful. I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough, you know, fucking give time. I appreciate it. And I know I'm an incredibly talented interviewer and that really- Like one of the best. That really helps. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have come back, obviously, if I didn't think you were one of the best podcast hosts- Nice. In the world. Wow, you see? <laughs> I'm going to get high. I'm going to get high. Hold on. Could you, could you put that here, Jason? Can you put that right in my uh, van, No, please? I'm kidding. You're decent. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. You're good. It's You're fine. good at what you Somewhere do. Somewhere between not good and really good. That's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. that. I totally do. Um, no, but you clearly are good. I, it's funny. I, I would, yeah, I would like to know more about the Chris story. I know for me, you know, Chris is, I haven't met him, obviously. I never met him. I came in after. So it's, yeah, to me, that component is just like, it makes this shit so real. It, it makes the stories you're telling and the questions you're asking. Obviously, you have your personal experience, sure. right? Which is, there's always the threat, but it's wild that your partner in this, in this very endeavor, that is the reason we're sitting here today. I mean, if that's not a fucking smack across the face with like the reality of what we're talking about here, I don't know what is. I hate that it happened. It's horrible. I wish he was here doing this interview with me. I would have loved to have met him and done this with him. No, he would have gotten a kick out of it. But that's it every day. It smacks me every show, every interview, every bit because... And we were also just like wanted it to be so fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and like that's where it gets crazy, the reality of it. Yeah. Because it, right. it, it it just turned on itself. And like and and I had another friend who had died just before him. So it, it became this like fucking incredible trauma. Yeah. But, but it 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 serves our community a hundred percent. And that's and it and it is a part of you and this podcast moving forward indefinitely. Like, and he's that, never not going to be. Right. I mean, like, I didn't take off Instagram. It says Dave and Chris on Instagram. Right. It says Dave and Chris on Twitter. Right. Because I could not take him out of it because he's never not going to be in it. Right. So, 100%. Yeah. Jason, thank you so Dave, much for your time. Peter, you. Peter, nice questions. My pleasure. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. So that was Jason Biggs. And... um He's very sweet, and I feel when I sit with him that I've known him for a long time, which is a, a great, just a great thing, and it's a great thing about the show that I get to meet people like that, and, and we commune and, and have fun, and there are Jason Biggs outtakes that are going to be up on Patreon, so that's another reason to join our Patreon world at www.com slash, that's not what it is. 
www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. There will be Jason Biggs up. There's so much stuff up there. And I want to read another email, or I don't think I read an email. I want to read an email before we go. And if you want to send in an anniversary or an email or anything, you send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If we play your email or voicemail, we will send you socks. Someone told me that people don't want to listen to more than an hour of a podcast. So if you're still listening, also write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. All right. This person says, hi, Dave. I have a few questions and thoughts, so I apologize in advance for what I'm sure will be a chaotic email. So let's just get into it. My parents and many of my other family members all suffer from addiction. Mainly, they all have an addiction to meth with some alcohol and gambling sprinkled in here and there. I've known this since I was 13. Now I'm 29. And as you can imagine, my parents' addiction really impacted my life. I thankfully have been able to avoid becoming addicted to any drugs, despite my genes not being in my favor in that aspect. My whole life, I have sought out stories and information about addiction so I could understand and navigate this situation better. Dopey has seriously helped me get insight into the lives of people who suffer from addiction and has helped me understand addiction better. I really appreciate the information I've gained from the podcast, plus the humor that comes along with it, because that's my choice of coping mechanism. Now the questions. Do you have any episodes with people who tell their stories about their parents being addicted to meth or maybe just their parents' addiction in general? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's it's included here and there. Two, do you have do you know of any support groups for family members of addicts? Yes. Al-Anon, Narcanon, those are the two biggest ones. Uh, I will look for more. Uh, three, I don't remember what my other question was. I think we both have early onset dementia. It's really hard for me to find any support as someone whose family are the ones with addiction issues. As a kid, I felt so alone and felt like no one could relate to what I was going through. I sort of still feel like that now, although I do have people in my life I can vent to about it. My parents are still alive, and I'm still sort of going through it with them. Anyway, thanks for such an amazing podcast. Have a great night. Kiara, if that's how you say your name. Kiara, thank you for the email. The Dopey Zoom probably has a resource for, uh, for you. There are like many dopey zooms every week, more than 20. Last time I checked, there were 25, but maybe there are less now. Uh, I have the meetings posted on the front of Dopey Instagram. It is The address is 804-300-586. The password is lowercase toodles. Hold on. Also, pinkcloud.com gives all sorts of meeting information. So if you're looking for a meeting, check out Pink Cloud. Yeah. I just used an amazing tool to find out about groups. It's called Google. Maybe you should check it out, Kiara. But if you don't feel like it, Naranon is an amazing family resource. My parents went to something called Families Anonymous. That's an incredible resource. I would start there. I would check out the Dopey Nation Zoom as well. I hope that that helped at all. Maybe it didn't. I have other really, really good emails, but I'm going to save them. I'm going to leave you with... An anniversary voicemail we just got from a lady named Ivy. Here is Ivy. 
Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Ivy Clark. And I wanted to share um, some stories with you guys, but I recorded way too long the detail of them. So I'll just give you clips that I used to have a shaved head. And um, four years ago, when they picked me up on my birthday to start my sobriety date before I was able to get loaded on my birthday at 1030 in the morning, I uh, started a uh, request with the cops and hospital staff that my name be Simon because I was embarrassed of the type of user that I had become on meth. And so if they referred to me by Ivy, my birth name, I would refuse to answer until they called me Simon. And then I would be responsive because I didn't want them to feel like they could inject me with whatever since I wasn't that kind of user anymore. Anyhow, it got me quite the perks. And it was funny, just recently, four years later, when I had to go in to get a COVID and bronchitis test, they called me from the emergency room, Simon Clark. And I was like, you mean Ivy Clark? And they're like, no, we have a note not to call you that. Some of the things I survived on the street when I lived in tents in encampments in Redwood City for eight to 10 years and back and forth in and out of shelters from the recruiters that tried to get me off the street were waking up to a, a tent fire and having to put that out. Um, I While I was on meth, I used to do quite a bit of rhyming and a friend of mine said that I should do um, stand-up open mic nights because I would Dr. Seuss X-rated rhymes um, while we would be dressed up in costumes from our party city dumpster dives. But I also learned from OGs where to hide your stash so that you didn't get caught on a frisk. Um, but I definitely feel guilty for enticing some folks to the type of high that meth was for me when I injected. And I chased it for two and a half years and never was able to recreate the high that I described, which was um, that it was like a lava rush from head to toe and settling in. Uh, as a cream your pants kind of high and I refuse to be the one to help people um, cross over and be the type of user that I was but um, they definitely begged me because of the description of how I described meth on needles but anyways um, I just wanted to say stay strong dopey nation and July 15th I'll be celebrating my 46th birthday and four years clean and um, future trip and then on my 50th birthday I'll have eight years clean which is more than the seven years that I relapsed on so party hardy but stay strong and toodles to Chris thank you Ivy for your lava rush cream your pants recountment and happy anniversary let's give Ivy a lot of credit and support Thank you for sending that in. Ivy sent in like a 10-minute voicemail, which we will be playing on Patreon as well. Look for more stories from Ivy. Everybody out there should be sending in stories. We need great dopey stories. And I think DopeyCon IV this year, that's interesting, that's Ivy. IV is four, not Ivy the voicemail person. But DopeyCon IV will be to showcase some of the greatest dopey storytellers ever. So get ready for that. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Stay strong, my brothers and sisters in and out of recovery, and fucking toodles for Chris.
What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And Though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. <clears throat> Wanna take a walk around the world. Wonder what it do me any good. Till I get some honey in my pockets And I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood I want to be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch as airplanes just pass me by And I want to see a Learjet liner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive I want to be good so bad I want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had in my burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had her on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Well, I hope y'all hear this Makes it through the, uh Big inbox emails. Feel free to play a clip on the show if you want. If not, I know it kind of sucks. All right, I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.